Let's take a little time to reveal The prehistoric stories that the earth once concealed Mix them all together on this ancient land It's time to spread some paleo jam Hello and welcome to another episode of Paleo Jam. My name is Michael Mills. I am your host for the today. And um, we are the today. Yes, live people in the audience tonight. We are recording this as part of National Science Week. So thank you to them for making this possible. Uh, tonight's episode, the theme is life as a paleo mum, which I get to speak on with great expertise. Or probably not, in fact. Um, my uh, two guests tonight are... Dr. Alice Clement. Hello. And uh, Dr. Um, Vera Weisbecker. Hello, how are you? And we have a live audience. <laughs> well, slightly alive anyway. Um, so, uh, one of the reasons I was inspired to want this to be one of the first episodes was a blog that you wrote, Alice. Mm-hmm. Um called um, Paleo Matrescence. And I looked up what matrescence was. What, what even is that? And it talks about the physical, emotional, hormonal and social transition to becoming a mother. But yours was about paleo matrescence. And in the, in the um, blog you say, I wanted to seek advice from colleagues who had navigated the same journey as me, but it was difficult to find people in the same boat. I could see plenty of parents in paleo, but looking for mothers in the traditional biological sense was a harder task. Like, where are they? So... Let's kick off that um, as, as, as the opening to the conversation. So what, what, what drove you to write the blog in the first place? Uh, yeah, well, I actually just want to kick things off by saying a lot of what I'll be talking about tonight uh, is relating to my own personal experience. So it's coming from a very sort of heteronormative view of, of families. Um, and that's because that's essentially my experience, but also because we live in a society that is structured upon that assumption that most families look that way. And I think this is something that will come up um, throughout tonight's talk. But yeah, you ask about what drove me to uh, write the blog. I was asked to write the blog, actually, um, but it was really, as you um, pulled out from my, my piece there, that when the time came to look around to ask people for advice, they were very thin on the ground. So there's plenty of, of women or people who might bear children around, but not many of them seem to be um, managing to hang on to those senior levels or to have secure work. So there's plenty of plenty of women in paleo, but there's plenty plenty of them are disappearing at a sort of critical juncture in the career stage, which was quite quite confronting and, and sad to see that it hasn't improved in recent years. Yeah, and we'll we'll go into great depth of that over the over the, the course of the, the, the episode. So Vera, your kids are a little bit older. Yes, yeah. Um, I've got what age are they? So I've got um, nine year old boy girl twins and a twelve year old non binary kid. So yep. yeah, I've been there, done it. Don't want to go back again. Good luck, <laughs> Alice. So so when you're in Alice's position in terms of this was a new thing to you, did you have the same kind of 
concerns and trepidations and looking out and going, where are, where are some people I can relate to? Very much so. And I didn't have any, any particular role models in the community that I was in at the time. So I had my daughter in the, after one year of contract on a um, non-permanent postdoc uh, in Cambridge, so I wasn't living in the country that I was born in. I didn't have any support networks. And um, yeah, responses were interesting because there wasn't anyone who did this kind of thing at the time. So I was 30 and in a, the middle of a postdoc, uh, a colleague just went like, oh, you're brave. So that was the kind of stuff that happened. So there wasn't a huge amount of support and a huge amount of role models. I decided to have the kid then because paleo is a very insecure career anyway so I thought I don't want to end up without a career and without kids so I'll do the kids thing because yeah start with that yeah yeah which, which is a terrible choice to have to be faced with and and it's not a choice that that me as a as a morp or sorry, a mom middle-aged hetero white male um not a mum but a mom um this is something I don't have to ever have worried about and and I was also cognizant in in being the host of this episode that there are probably questions I don't even know exist to ask of you two so I'm really interested to for for, for you two to to do most of the talking today um part of the podcast though of course is to bring an object or an artifact or something so what did you each bring um Alice well I have a picture of the motherfish, which is <laughs> also John, John Long. <laughs> so John Long is a motherfish. So for anyone who's unaware of the motherfish or Metapisces Attenborough, this was a, a fish, a type of um, placoderm from the Gogo Formation in northern WA. And a placoderm is a, a now extinct group of fish that heavily armoured so the first jawed vertebrates. And the most exciting thing about this fish is that it was actually preserved with the f oldest fossilised embryo within it. So there's an embryo located within the cavity of the mother with an umbilical cord. Um, and so it's pushing back the evidence of internal fertilisation and live birth by you know a couple of hundred million years from what we previously knew from the fossil record. Cool. Um, Vera, what have you brought? I brought a non-scientific object, but it's an outreach game that I'm just launching, and I thought I'd use this to, you know. Um, it's called Go Extinct Megafauna. It so just, just to describe to the people that are listening, sure, so Vera is currently showing the audience the uh, book, the, the, the game. <laughs> Carry on. Yeah, so this is a game about Australia megafauna, and it teaches kids eight years and up um, about evolution, about... Um, megafauna in Australia, so the extinct animals alongside the living animals, and um, also some indigenous language. So it's a really fun game to have made. You can't buy it. It's for free for universities and libraries. And the reason why I brought it here is because the science that I do isn't necessarily very outreach friendly because I don't work with fossils like Aaron does and, and um, Alice does. So this is the first time I'm able to really show my passion for science and Australian vertebrate biodiversity in, in something that people will actually relate to, hopefully, and play with and enrich their lives. So, yes, check it out. So, so my object... <laughs> I brought an egg. <laughs> um... It's a, well, it's a replica of an egg. It's a replica of a Saltosaurus egg. Um, and I bought it because, obviously, we, we talk about 
eggs as as being you know is where where life comes from. But but I picked this because Vera, there was an interesting thing that you wrote um, in in when when I asked uh, the the panelists for some information. And one of the things you talked about is you would love to have been able to give birth like a marsupial does. Hell yeah. Could you yeah. explain that? Absolutely. So <laughs> I think I know the so answer, <laughs> but could you explain what you mean by that? So does everyone know what the biggest marsupial newborn or newborn size is? Can it's I see some fingers? So everyone is... Yes, that's right. So everyone is holding their index finger and their thumb. So the biggest marsupial newborn is about the size of a jelly bean. And that is not the size of the baby that came out of me. And I was <laughs> so, just so jealous of marsupials in that moment. It's like five years of lactation is fine. Just can it be a bit smaller, please? Because so. <laughs> we're not particularly, well, uh, we uh, female humans are not particularly well designed design's not the right word anyway but it, it's I can see why you'd yes you'd want that <laughs> well, I can try and picture okay this is one of those things as a mom I have no way of completely relating but to it yeah Alice. so there's I mean there's getting it out and you know that's for me that was one day or a few hours really but it's carrying it growing this thing like being pregnant is physically hard you know and it's exhausting and you're not you're expected to carry on about everything as normal until you go on leave and then if you're on leave and you happen to be breastfeeding as I was like that's a whole year of it's the equivalent the hours you give to breastfeeding is the equivalent of a full-time job or more and then, you know, there's everything else on top of that that you also have to do for the baby. Try and find time for yourself and other people mm. around you and, and so on. So it's, it's a big ask. One of the, one of the things you, you wrote in your blog, Alice, was that um, you were told, many people said to you that you'd feel differently. <laughs> you'd feel differently about work once you had your baby, once you became a mother. You'd go, oh, career's really not that important. I've got a baby now. You know, that's the most important job in the world, being a mother, um, as opposed to... Being a parent, it's, a, it's, a, it's an odd thing, isn't it? They say, oh, being yeah. a mother is the most important thing. You, you won't worry about your career anymore. Did they ask your partner the same kind of thing? No, I don't think anyone said anything like that to my partner at all. And it was, yeah, I found, you know, people very well-meaning would offer advice and things, but I found it quite dismissive and this idea that just because I happened to be carrying the child that I would cease to have interests outside of that child was just offensive. Yeah, so Vera, what, what, what was your experience? Yeah, actually I have a really fun anecdote about this, which I've been raring to tell the world, so this is a good venue. Um, so I was at, the, at Cambridge University at the time, and I, was, I had a, the most horrible brain fog and nausea in the first, well, basically throughout the whole pregnancy. And so I was sitting there, my brain had conked out, and I was sitting opposite a very esteemed, very famous colleague in the field who had visited and he knew me. We'd known each other for a few years. And um, I was telling him over lunch that I was pregnant and he, his eyes just went pop and he looks at me and he goes, like, and, and are you going to stay in academia? And this guy had three kids. So I think three, two or three. So it's like, what, what do you mean? I don't understand the question, thank you. Yeah, because nobody would have asked him that 
very question. No. And it's it's the the flip side of the thing with with you and your partner. Like no, nobody's asking we men folk. Oh, are you gonna? You've just had a kid. Are you gonna stay in academia? And there's this bizarre cultural thing we have at times where you hear this narrative sometimes where it's like the dad's gonna babysit the kids so the mum can go out it's like no you're parenting (laughs) you don't babysit your own children do you i mean it's uh, yeah and so you're gonna get all that yeah no absolutely and i actually think so for all the progress we're making in terms of supporting uh, women who are having children and returning to the workforce, like that's only half of the equation. If if men or other parents are not asking for the same flexibility or time off work, then we're just we're only halfway there. And yeah, like we, I I experienced this with my partner um, this year. We had a certain plan for how this year was going to play out, and then he got a new job. And so all of his flexibility sort of um, disappeared and it really changed the way the year looked for us and even him approaching his workplace asking for some flexibility just to care for his own child. We haven't got, you know, spot in daycare yet and it wasn't met well and it meant we had to change our plans for the year. It's very disappointing. And can I also say that this is a big disadvantage for men as well because if you're like my husband who's thankfully the carer, primary carer of the kids because I just wouldn't do a good job at it. Um, and, you know, he's, he's like, he's doing everything that a mother normally does, but he's virtually completely in a female-only space. There are very few other dads that do this. And I think if you're a father in our position, um, having a baby, uh, say you take the baby on day one and you do everything that the mother does in terms of caring, I think your career would be damaged even more because there are, is no infrastructure for that kind of thing. So this sort of gender toxicity works both ways, I think. Mm. Yeah, I'm interested to, to explore that idea a bit further of, of, of how we define merit in a career where... Clearly, if you have a break in that career, because whether you're the, the whatever parent you are, you choose to have a break in that career, um, then you lose that momentum. There's a significant drop off. And at the moment, it's mostly with, with women. But, but how do we, do we need to redefine merit? Is that part of the solution? I think part of the solution would be better funding and permanent jobs. It's mm-hmm. because the continuity that we're expected to produce is really because that keeps us competitive for funding and for jobs. And I think in Australia and elsewhere, there are a lot of mechanisms where you can do that. So the ARC, for example, allows you to state in full-time equivalents how much time you've taken off. And that is taken very seriously. So, yeah, there's there's a a bit of that but ultimately I think there's a cultural issue where if you drop off if you're not super mum and you don't produce papers I mean I had a year of maternity leave and I worked my guts out to have some kind of publication output because the realities are simply not matched by what everyone aspires to yet yep um the um there's a again coming back to your blog. I'll keep coming back to your blog, mm-hmm. Alice, and and make sure you read it. There's a in the in the in the Paleo Jam notes. There'll be a link to the blog. Um, 
you, you, you say, sometimes I can't help but wonder what is the point of all the initiatives to encourage girls into STEM if we don't retain women in STEM. And it's that thing of, of the way things are structured. Um, so what do, what do you see as solutions? We just talked about funding. Yeah, well, I and, think... And funding's going to be a challenge. And we know that from, you know, as we're, we're hurtling through the pandemic and budget deficit and all that sort of stuff. So it's, it's going to be a challenge. So, Dallas. Yeah, I mean, funding's a challenge, but it's the, yeah, the way it's structured is, is also not compatible with anyone who needs to take some time off work. Like, nearly anyone who's, you know, finishing a PhD and in the early years of their career, that's when you can establish yourself as an independent researcher and you often have several years of insecure work before you can, you know, land that permanent ongoing position. Um, but that, you know, tends to coincide with sort of peak childbearing years. And so you're going to have to take time off because that's the biological reality. But this cycle of grant deadlines doesn't take a break or doesn't go on pause because you do. Or, you know, if you need to apply for money to keep your lab running, to keep your, your research assistants employed or to keep your students supported, you're still going to have to do that whether you're on leave or not. And often there's not funding or, um, yeah, sort of money or provisions put in to support that particular role of people who are trying to establish themselves as independent researchers or who, you know, run their own lab groups. Yeah. Yep. So um, what, what can we... Better question. Better question. If, if you could, in terms of... You've already very well spoken about the marsupial... Joey, and you'd rather have had your child that way. Um, if there is a... We see in the natural world lots of different strategies of giving birth, of, of child raising. One of the reasons I brought the egg in is because this, this egg is a from a long-necked dinosaur. They laid a whole bunch of eggs. Now, whether they left them in the way that turtles do, but when, when, when a baby Saltosaurus is born, it's like a Big Saltosaurus, but smaller. When a human baby's born, and Alice will know this very clearly at the moment, um, they're sort of, ah, they don't, <laughs> they're, they're not really functional. It's like, can you get up and do something? Can you clean that? that, that they, so we, we it's, it's the nature of the beast that we have to do this stuff of, of raising them. So in all of the history of the natural world, what are your favourite strategies with... Species that you might go, yeah, I want, I want oh, a bit that. of external spawning in the water or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I, I don't think we need to go that far back. And you know, only to our very, very recent history, they say you know, it takes a village to raise a human. But in in science, in academia, you're often expected to up and move from your family and from your support networks. And that's what I've done. That's what Vera's done. So neither me or my partner are from Adelaide. We don't have those, those sort of traditional support networks around. And I think that's another really hard aspect of science is that, yeah, you, you're almost expected to up and, and uproot yourself and then somehow manage to bring a child into the world, care for it and go back to work as if nothing happened without those additional support. So I don't know, just a, a, a bigger village would be nice. 
So you're not tempted to have had like little baby turtle kind of things and then just leave them and go, good luck, kids. Well, that's the thing, right? I mean, I mean, the Sultasaurus yeah. is, you know, and, and crocodiles are doing something similar. They look after the egg, baby comes out, job done, moving on. But that's not the experience you want to have either because having kids is, you know, surprisingly awesome, particularly once they, once they get older. I <laughs> promise, Alice. Um, so, so it's like you, I actually quite like the, you know, the, the human way of doing things, which is a really evolutionary completely unique and you know we raise our children we uh, form a very close cultural bond we feed their little huge brains with you know what we think is important so it's it's amazing and rewarding so you don't want to just pop them out and leave them that's not really the point for us as humans and I would like to have space for that for everyone who wants to yeah and it's those those structures that need to be built um as I, as I said I I it, it for 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 my people what what do we do what 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 do middle-aged hetero men do what what's like to, in terms of being an ally what are if if you could ask us to do things well, because we we were often it's, it's really hard to know because it's 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 not that experience we we don't know you know, when and 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 Aaron's talked about it in a previous podcast, where you know the luck of privilege that you you don't know you don't know you you you, you kind of get a sense of it mm. because we have these conversations, but but how how do we how do we shift my people? Well, I think a good place to start is yeah to advocate for change in your own workplaces, um, you know, for men or, or other partners who aren't birthing the children. So whether it's it's your situation or for that of your colleagues, you know, just more equal care. And there's other countries who do it better than Australia. Australia, you know, we do have really good, um, generally, um, in, in terms of global terms, like good parental leave policies. Well, I've but actually just heard that it's one of the worst in the developed world. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was putting on the sort of full <laughs> global term. But, yeah, there's other countries that do things so much better and it's just shared care and it's then it's equality at work and at home and I don't see why we can't do it that way. Yeah. And I think normalise it. I think normalisation is the absolute key and that also makes it easier for other people who have caring responsibilities to jump on board this train because, I mean, raising kids is one thing, but caring for elderly parents or friends or just having any kind of caring responsibility needs to be not like, oh, this is something you're doing in your personal time and it might impinge on your work. It, might, it should be a more inviting place. There should be funding for this. There should be a recognition that people sometimes go through phases where their brain doesn't work or their body doesn't work and we just all have um, a place here regardless of what responsibility we happen to have yep so your kids are nine and, and 12 12 there's a 10-year difference between the experiences has anything changed at all for the better hmm <laughs> For those Hard listening, to say. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Well, I, I I had my baby under under a German. Fund. I was living in the UK, but my pay came from Germany. It was slightly complicated, so I had a year of maternity leave on half pay, um, that uh, was was covered by the government mostly, as far as I remember. 
And um, I think here in Australia, the situation is far less generous. And I've actually just found out that I have to pay for parts of my uh, research assistance maternity leave out of my research budget. So it's it just could be made a bit less complicated, a bit more easy, a bit more normal. It's it's really a question of just going, oh yeah, this is this is what she needs. So let's do it. Yeah, and it's that stuff that that stuff I mentioned before, where it's like, oh the. Dad, dad's babysitting the kid. Oh. It's just my husband gets that all the time, and it is so aggravating. It's, but it's, it's it's bizarre. It's it's utterly weird and bizarre, Alice. In terms of, <laughs> of we, we started off what's by changed? what's changed. I don't. Well, know. we started off by talk, talking about um, you know who else is there, who's out there, um, and obviously you know Vera. Was Vera somebody you were able to to go? What am I getting in for? Uh, I definitely spoke, but yeah, I I think. The, the sort of very specific situation is that, yeah, that, you know, there were people within the university who had had children and, and whatnot, but, yeah, I was seeking people out who were on external, short-term externally funded contracts at the time and, you know, contracts that aren't necessarily in your name and you don't have control over the, the funds or how it's used or how, how long that contract can, whether it can be extended or not, whether, you know, if you happen to take time off. Yeah, so so the it, it's as if the the very systems of of academia and science and paleo have been constructed with a obviously with a particular family structure in mind, isn't it? That that's the 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 broad heart of the issue, isn't it? And it's a baggage because it's not that people are unwilling to change. I think everyone understands the problem. Everyone knows about the issue. And I mean, the university does, the administrators does, nobody has any ill will, but it's just still really complicated to adjust the system. So we, despite everybody's best efforts and best, you know, meaning very well, there's still a lot we need to change and we may need to put more energy in. So we got just a few minutes left. So what I want to do is come back to the, the, the stuff that you brought in so that we can yes Vera you can talk some more about your <laughs> megafauna game um, in, in terms of the development of that um, so how long has that been in development way too long it's embarrassing <laughs> um, it's probably I had the idea uh, nearly two years ago I think yep. and I'm very lucky I'm a um, chief investigator at the Centre of Excellence for Australian Biodiversity and Heritage, or CABA, much shorter. And they basically, through their outreach funding, they funded this game, and um, it took a paleo artist who's a young woman and a game designer who's also a young woman, and we banded together and, and made this game for kids. And cool, and providing great opportunities for people with different skill sets Absolutely. To, to engage. Going back to you know, employability story. and paleo, so this is a paleontologist honor student who made these images and now has another lifeline in her repertoire. Yeah. Alice, fish, mm. the mother fish. Tell what, what, <laughs> what was it about that? The, the, what, what, what drew you to fish? Oh... That's a that's a long question. No, so I yeah I was a bit like um, you may have heard in a previous episode. Phoebe was talking about how she didn't necessarily have you know paleo on her mind as a young kid, and I wasn't fish obsessed as a young kid, but I was interested in animals and and uh, zoology and and things, and I just kept following the things that I found interesting, and 
along the way I got um, introduced to a man called John Long who I went along and saw one of his talks and just saw these pictures of the most spectacular fossil fish from Gogo. I'd never seen fossils like this before. You know, completely three-dimensional, complete, um, delicate, beautiful, weird, strange animals. And, yeah, it opened up a new world for me. And that's, that's how I got into fish. And for me, yeah, understanding fish and how fish evolved and the origins of, of the vertebrate body plan is central to understanding our very own evolutionary history. Yep. And the... the the interruption that you've had and the interruptions that you are likely to continue to have, mm-hmm. um, how, how will that impact in the years ahead? Oh, Hopefully well, not. But. Yeah, well, it remains to be seen. But, um, yeah, so my partner and I were hoping to sort of both work um, four days a week and, and get the kid in care and, and see how we go from, so, from that. So for you it's about... The, the, the two of you just trying to find within the constraints of the existing system without yet burning down the system and starting again. Because yeah. that's possibly one solution, but, <laughs> but it's trying to work out, well, how, how do we do this? Yeah. How do we do this at a, at a practical level? I was speaking to a friend who's a geologist just a couple of days ago, and um, his partner when they were deciding when to have kids, they calculated when in the academic year it would be most suitable that she could have the time off. Because rather than have wow. the kids when they want to have the kids, but they, they actually... But that's, that's the kind mm. of stuff that happens. Yeah, good it? luck. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> they, look, they, they, but, but they managed to do it and, and it kind of and it made it easy. But it shouldn't have to be that, should it? Yeah. If those support mechanisms are there, um, if that funding is there, um, you know, we are just about to finish. Thank you, Vera. Thank you very much. Thank you, Alice. Thank you. Um, make sure you have a listen to have a listen, have a read of Alice's blog. Make sure you print off a copy of Vera's game. Um, and thank you for listening to this episode of Paleo Jam. It's time to spread some paleo jam